Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. All right, we were just talking about this. Everyone has this memory, or generally more than one memory, that uh, like some sort of embarrassment from the past, and it enters your mind, and what happens? Uh, you just curl up in a fetal position because it's such an awful memory. Yeah. And you just think, why, why? I was just sitting here. I was just doing the laundry. And then you just struck out of nowhere in this memory. And I won't describe it because, I don't know, it's awful yeah. and embarrassing. Yeah. And it haunts me year after year. <laughs> yeah. It'll happen to me. I'll think of like something that I said that was just really stupid once, um, generally not on on this podcast, you know, but, but something but stupid. See, I think of the things I say on this podcast and I cringe sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it'll, it'll enter my mind and I, I'll find myself having to, um, kind of like do a la, 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 I can't hear you kind of a thing. Yeah. Or I'll, or I'll combat it with just like a really nonsense phrase, like, um, and then he turned into a goat. Like that used to be a staple where oh. I would think of something, something embarrassing from the past and it would be like, and then he turned into a goat and then he turned into a goat and that would like, the, the image of something turning into a goat would help uh, d- rid myself of uh, of self-stabbing uh, with that memory. You know? Wow. Well, not only is that a tip, but a little insight into the mind of Robert Lamb. Well, goats are an absolute good. I'm richly amused by them. I see that. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, this, this is the problem. And I think that uh, some people would willingly undergo their memories or specific memories being erased if they could. Yeah. Yeah. What if you could go in and say, all right, instead of just having to go through this moment where I drop into a fetal position or have to think of something stupid to combat something stupider, then (laughs) how, what if I could just go in and have it removed, go into the dock and say, Hey, uh, I've got this memory I want removed. And they're like, all right, well think about it for a second. All right. I'm thinking about it now. And then whap, they zap it and and it's gone. And it's very possible. Yeah. It's very possible. Um, they're, this is something that came up uh, when when we were attending the um, World Science Festival in New York. Yeah. I attended a panel um, about the unbearable lightness of memory, and there it was just like one of these sessions where they had they had a number of these guys um, and, and and women that uh, were just experts in the field of memory and are just on the cutting edge of of seeing you know of, of our understanding of memory mm-hmm. and our exploitation of that understanding. And so it was a very mind-blowing uh, couple of hours. And this is a, a topic that came up. And th- these guys were saying, yeah, within our lifetime, some were saying within the next 10 years, yeah, yeah. we will have the technology to go in and selectively erase memories. Because we are doing it on rats currently, um, yeah. you know, in, in some cases. So obviously that technology is going to find its way into the mainstream. It's just a matter of how and when and um, will we be willing to undergo it and why would we? Which yeah. we're going to talk about today, but we're, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically and, about memories right. before we go into that. And, and we are going to talk about technology that exists now to mm-hmm. wipe the memory in a clean fashion, not in a brain damage way, but in an erasure right. way. Right. Because we all know that you can erase memories by damaging the brain, but that's, that's kind of dumb. That's like saying you can erase an ink by burning the paper. That's not really erasing. Right. That's destroying. Throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Right, right. Yeah. So we'll get into some of that as well. But yeah, first we need to talk about exactly what memory is, um, which is one of the big questions. It's, again, it's one we're continuing to answer and one that we've been asking as long as we've had memory, as long as we've had had intelligence uh, yeah. uh, among the species. Well, well, let's lay down some nuts and bolts because this is going to be important in, in, in some yeah. of the discussions that we um, have later on about actually how we how we would 
erase a specific memory. Right. Um, so what is happening when you're making a memory? Basically, you have nerve cells that are communicating by sending electrical signals, which trigger the release of chemicals across tiny gaps called synapses. And these are the neural junctions. And then as one cell speaks to another, chemical changes at the synapse make it easier for the signal to pass. Okay, so this is important. Mm-hmm. If only a few signals are sent, this transform- transformation among a network of cells is temporary, resulting in short-term memory. But if the signals keep coming through, changes at the most active synapses be- become permanent and they create long-term memories. It is literally an anatomical change to your brain. So mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it was just, if you look at it this way, different day, different brain. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was really fascinated by that viewpoint. The idea that that a the addition of a permanent memory is an anatomical difference in the brain, mm-hmm. because we, you know, we've talked about before this whole question of like trying to figure out who and what we are, and the brain's inability to to perceive itself. Right. Even if we are completely atheistic in our in our viewpoints, even mm-hmm. if we are just the most scientific, hard boiled, I don't believe in ghosts. Kind of guy, mm-hmm. you uh, or gal you, or gal. I'm I'm using guy in the the non gender specific uh, <laughs> of course fashion. Yes, Dude. I know you are. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, even if you you, just, you know you don't believe in any of this nonsense, you still can fall into this trap of of sort of thinking of yourself as this non uh, corporeal thing that mm-hmm. just happens to be in the bodies. We end up we end up not thinking about ourselves, our memory as a physical manifestation. Yeah, and it is interesting too to think of how we regard ourselves mainly by what memories or we what shapes us or mm-hmm. our idea of ourselves is is composed of memories, right? Right. Um so knowing that m- memory making is really very a fragile process and um and, and not as straightforward as straightforward as we thought really sort of is a game changer in how we perceive ourselves and and just it's amazing to think that we are constructing this reality out of a really flawed process right right because well flawed in a sense but but it, it, basically it comes down to the way we used to think about okay, how memories yeah, yeah. were let's, formed let's let's talk yeah. about that uh because cuz ultimately the way it works is the way it works and it works that way due to um you know rigorous evolution uh and it and it is important that it works the way it works. But the way well, I'm we, not knocking evolution. I'm just no, no. saying that it's not as ironclad as we thought. Our right, memories right. Are, are ephemeral little things. Yes. And uh, so just as an example, the old way of looking at how how memories worked uh, went a little something like this. You would learn something. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say you would learn that. Um, oh, let, let's think of a What's the what's the most recent thing you learned uh, about cicadas and their lifespan? Okay. Well, let's say you, um, you learned that cicadas, um, uh, some species of cicadas, uh, will, are on a 13 year life cycle where they go okay. underground for 13 years. Mm-hmm. All right. So you learn that. All right. And then you store it. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to retrieve it, you retrieve it. So it's like, I take the fact, I put it in the storage drawer, the brain, mm-hmm. and then I retrieve it. And there's there's no update process going on here. This is the old model. Right. Right. And then if you were to say, then you were suddenly to learn, oh, well, there's 13 and 17 here. Mm-hmm. That's an addition. That's an update. But th- there's not really an update process going on. It's just like, oh, well, I'll store that memory, too. Mm-hmm. Well, the, um, the the current view is the reconsolidation view. And this is, a, this is a little more complicated. And this is this is how it would go. You'll learn the fact, right? Okay. Cicadas, 13 years. Yeah. You store the fact. All right. And then you retrieve the fact. Mm. But when you retrieve the fact, uh, it goes through update. 
reconsolidation and mm-hmm. then it's stored again. So the idea is that every time we reach into the storage center of our brain and retrieve something, be it uh, a little fact about cicadas or our family history or something about ourselves, mm-hmm. we retrieve it and we update it. Okay. And then we put it back. Yes. So it's, it's ever changing. There's no such thing as this memory, like the memories are not set in stone. They are, um, they're, they're these continued things that alter every time we touch it. It's kind of like if it were a police case, you know, they're always talking about like the chain of, uh, uh, not the chain of command. What is it with evidence? Uh, uh, it's like a chain of possession or something. I'll go a chain of possession. Yeah. One of our more, uh, uh, crime oriented or police work oriented, uh, viewers will correct us on this. But, but yeah, they're very concerned with, with who has the control of the evidence at any given moment. Okay. Because they could flaunt. They could, they could get fingerprints on it or tamper with it in some, uh, some way, shape or form. So if you look at memory like that, memory, every time you get it out, somebody's getting their paws on it. I mean, you're getting your paws on it, mm-hmm. but you're adding new information to it. And some of that new information you add may not be good information. Well, you know? right, right. And when you're sharing that information, you, you're corroborating some of your information, right. right? And you're adding to it. And, you know, you've got the whole human experience sort of coming in and coloring that experience, that memory, that data. Yeah, like here's an example. Uh, let's say you have... Um, uh, choose a, who's a childhood friend of yours? Pick a childhood friend. Cheryl. Cheryl. All right. Well, let's say you, um, when you first meet Cheryl mm-hmm. and, you, and you're, you're friends with Cheryl and, uh, and then you, um, you go out, uh, on a roller skating and you fall down. Yes. Right? And then later. I'm trying to go backwards again. Right. Being fancy. Yeah. Yeah. And then later on, um, you have a falling out with Cheryl mm-hmm. and you begin to see, think of Cheryl as, um, your enemy. Okay. Arr. Yeah. So then you could conceivably, Retrieve that memory of you falling down. She pushed me. Yeah, exactly. You add in this new information where <laughs> Cheryl is the great adversary, and and now the the memory is restored in a slightly different form. Now this isn't necessarily a false memory, then, is it, or a cover memory? No, no. But it, it's potentially flawed. It's also potentially more accurate. Who knows? Maybe Cheryl did push you. Right. But yeah. it's but it's changing. What I thought was really interesting is how much emotion can really determine what sort of memory you get out of an experience. And you had a really interesting um, example from the panel that had to do with 9-11, right? Yeah. These, uh, you know, neuroscientists are, are kind of awesome and they're always, I mean, you can, you can say that they're a little too focused on their work in, in this particular example, but, but I think it's, it's very telling. Mm-hmm. 9-11 occurs, you know, tragic, uh, horrible day for anyone involved. But these guys uh, were instantly thinking, all right, this is a great example. This is a great opportunity for us to test uh, how our memory reacts with traumatic situations. Mm-hmm. Because every, because anybody can ask that question. You know, it's like, what were you doing on 9-11? Or where were you when Kennedy was shot for older uh, members of the audience? You know, there would be some sort and of... And people you know, always have really specific answers. Yeah. I was in my living room. I was da-da-da-da-da. And uh, it's not necessarily accurate, right? Yeah, they they did this uh, study where they were they were act- they were checking everybody's memory, doing tests on it uh, to see how accurate their memory was uh, of their um, of, of their uh, like what they were wearing, what they were eating for breakfast on nine eleven versus other um, times, and uh, and there was there was actually less uh, accuracy for nine eleven, and it's because there's less less activity uh, in the um, uh, in the uh, parahippocampus, which is involved in the details, okay, and it's um, and it ends up being more of an emotional response. So the amygdala 
is really active in this yeah. case, right? Yeah, the amygdala uh, is is the emotional seat, and that's where all the activity is uh, when forming these uh, these traumatic uh, memories, yeah. right? Whereas the the detail oriented uh, parahippocampus is taking a back seat to that. And uh, so the the parahippocampus is noting would normally note like what you were wearing, what time it was, those sort of details. Right. Okay. But the interesting thing is people were so sure about it. Like they're like, I was totally wearing a green shirt and eating Fruit Loops. That mm-hmm. was that was it. I have this clean memory. And uh, it's uh, we basically think it is an evolutionary response. Uh, like it's not just a like some sort of flaw. Mm-hmm. It's because if you're in a, a situation where it may be life or death, you may need to run for your life. You may need to make some very quick decisions in order to survive or do the right thing. Your brain basically doesn't want you to care about the details. Uh, okay. So, so uh, because so, it's in the fear response, right? Right. right. Yeah. It's it's more reacted to like you got to do something, dude. Don't worry what your Fruit Loops are doing or what your shirt <laughs> yeah. you were wearing, and. And so you're sure about it because it's it because it's the sort of the trick of the memory so that you're not concerned with it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And it also makes sense that people ha- are so sure about it because it was a very prominent emotional experience, right? right. So it it meant so much to them that they felt like, oh, well, of course I was wearing this shirt, and of course I remember every detail because that's how it felt to me, rather than what it actually was. But why would we need to re- to erase the memory, right? Yeah, I mean, we actually have some very good reasons why someone would want to uh, undergo this process. And we'll get to that right after this quick break. This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of Tomorrow, and the Discovery Channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. And we're back. Yeah, it's kind of a trickier question. Than, uh, than it may seem on the surface, because even when bad things happen to us, um, they become traumatic memories a lot of the times because we need to be able to avoid those situations in the future. Um, right. We need to uh, or just embarrassing memory. You know, it's like it was really embarrassing the time, uh, you know, you got up and, uh, you know, did made some faux pas at a meeting or something. And so you are remembering that it stings in your memory, but you're not making that same faux pas. Every time you go into the, this uh, meeting, you know, so yeah, it, it plays an important role. It does. You're right. And uh, even something is well, I was just thinking about a friend of mine who went to a wedding and she decided not to wear any undies, but she had on a little other contraption uh-huh. and uh, which I won't get too specific because, you know, we're, we're, we're a clean podcast here, but she was dancing and her dress got caught up uh-huh. and she mooned the world. And, you know, for the rest of her life, she's thinking, Always wear underwear with this contraption. Always wear, you know, I mean, it's important. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of a lowbrow example, but still. Yeah. I mean, uh, the the movie that I'm sure everyone would instantly thought of when they saw this podcast, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless yeah. Mind. I mean, the whole message of that is well, this is where, you know, they, they go to erase this painful breakup mm-hmm. so they can move on with their lives. But in erasing the painful breakup, they end up falling in love with each other in the real world. You end, end up not learning from their mistakes. Right. Right. She would underwear less mooning people for the rest of her life if she didn't feel shame faced about it. Yeah. But um, still, if it starts interfering with your life, then right. that's where it becomes an issue. Okay. So if it became an anxiety disorder, she decided not to leave her house or to ever, you know, she couldn't even look at a pair of underwear or, or anything else. Um, that would be really traumatic. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, on a more serious note, you see this a lot with people coming back from war with PTSD. Yes. And it's, it's a, it's a horrible disorder. And the reason is because you are re-experiencing the event again and again, over and over. So you might want to, you know, undergo some sort of, uh, 
process to alleviate that if you could? Yeah, especially when the, the response uh, that it that it that it brings up is not going to be a, a helpful one. Like if you're just right. totally freezing, uh, you know, every time a milk carton drops in the in the grocery store or if you're you're becoming super defensive and ready to you know karate chop something every time there's a loud noise, that's not helpful. Right. So, same thing with phobias yeah. in, the, in the same sense where uh, if you have an extreme irrational fear. And it, you know, it's, it's shuttering you in your house then. And, and every time that you think of a memory and you then augment it yeah. with this phobia and then you predict the future thinking, Oh, if I leave my house, this is going to happen. Um, then you would probably want to try to remediate that if you yeah, could. Yeah. It would be good to be able to, to zap or, um, zip that memory as we'll discuss here in just a bit. Yeah. We will. Um, nice pun, by the way. Uh, but then there's also something called residual neuropathic pain which is a complex chronic pain state that's usually accompanied by tissue injury. And you can see this sometimes in spinal cord injuries or patients undergoing chemotherapy or people with diabetes. Um, and that's when the damaged nerve fibers send incorrect signals to other pain centers. And you actually sent me a really cool article about, um, actually, I think it was a blog post from the World Science Festival on Pain and memory in the spinal cord uh-huh. and how your spinal cord is actually tagging that pain um, with the memory and calling it up. And they used an example saying, hey, okay, you slam your, your hand in the door and then for days afterwards, the neurons in your spine carry the pain signals more easily from your hand to your brain. And as a result, your hand feels more sensitive and even the lightest touch will trigger an unpleasant reaction. Uh, two groups of scientists have found that one special molecule, PMK zeta, yep. uh, which we'll talk about, underlies both processes and it helps to store memories in our brains and it sensitizes neurons in our spines after a painful experience. So much of this is related, right? Yes. The, the pain, memory, uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And it's going above, in these cases, it's going above and beyond the simple, uh, you know, importance of pain, which is, uh, hey, don't do that because it's damaging your tissue. Don't, or be careful. There's something wrong with your leg. It's, 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 it's beyond that and it needs to be addressed. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, let's say you have a memory you want to erase. Uh, you're going to go to a pro. What are your options here? Well, one option, of course, would be cortisol curbing drugs, right? Yes, yes. Which was really interesting to me. There were 33 university students who watched a film depicting a granddaughter helping her grandfather make a birdhouse. This is all related to the cortisol, mm-hmm. um, which is a stress hormone, by the way. And in the film, she accidentally gets her hand caught in the saw. And oh. yeah. And so, of course, these 33 university students are sitting there in, in emotional uh, distress. And even though the film had a nice happy ending and her, her hand was <laughs> back on, um, you know, people were a little bit flummoxed by it. So what researchers did after putting them through all this this uh, duress is they collected saliva to measure cortisol. Again, that stress hormone. And then three days later, this is the really trippy thing about this. The volunteers were brought back to the lab and some were given a placebo while the rest were given one of two doses of a drug that knocks back the amount of cortisol that courses through your body. And then they were asked to recall the video presentations. And lo and behold, the people who were on the higher dose of the inhibitor for the cortisol, the harder it was for them to remember anything at all. Mm -hmm. And they found this even four days later uh, same thing when they administered the cortisol, this memory just kept fading and fading as opposed to the control group who had no cortisol. Wow. Which is really, I think it's cool because, you know, I have learned that cortisol, if you, if you're, um, 
if you have a lot of anxiety or if, um, you know, you're real stressed throughout the day and your cortisol levels peak, it can really mess with your body. In fact, it's, it's a big cause for people, um, not able to sleep or having bouts of insomnia too, because it really throws your body off. Wow. Um, and if anybody's interested in, in reading more about that, the study was published in the August issue of Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabol- Metabolism. Cool. Well, the uh, other really fascinating option, and this is the one that really uh, they spent a lot of time with in this uh, at the World Science Festival, and uh, and was really the, like the reason I was like, oh, we got to do a podcast about this, is uh, this substance called Zip that they've developed. Yeah. And uh, one of the key guys involved in this is Todd Sackter, who was at. Uh, the World Science Festival to talk about this really amusing T-Sack, guy. as we like to call no, him. Do we? I don't know if we call him that. <laughs> no, um, we should never do that. <laughs> um, because he will come at us with uh, the zip stuff. Which, That's right. Mr. Sector, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> zip is uh, basically in, in 2006, his team was able to use zip to erase the memories in the brains of rats and by neutralizing this PKM Zeta. That we were mentioning earlier, yeah. which again is like the glue for memories. That's right. So when when we were talking about the um, it, it, all those uh, memories really forming at the most active synaptic synaptic points, mm-hmm. it's that PMK zeta that is the glue that is helping to solidify that memory. So that's important in this zip process. Yeah, they they inject it and they were testing it. They had like this carousel with like with one area of mm-hmm. like this just this round area. They called it a carousel, but it's but one section of it was electrocuted. So the rat is they put it in there and the rat eventually learns where not to step because they'll get a shock. Then they inject zip into the hippocampus, and it just it cleans out even very strong memories, uh, uh, you know, ones that have been around for quite a while. And suddenly the rat doesn't know where not to step. It it basically they, yeah. they there are different types of memories, uh, and I should have mentioned this earlier, I guess. But um, you know, we have uh, we have episodic memory for events. We have semantic Im- uh, memory for facts. We have uh, conditioning memories, which is like the whole Pavlov's dog thing where, mm-hmm. you know, you hear a dental, uh, dog hears a, a bell and starts salivating because he thinks he's going to get food. And then you have these priming memories, which are, uh, which involves the unconscious activation of memory, mm-hmm. um, kind of reminders. So zip basically will knock out everything but priming. And it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's impressive. It's scary. It's yeah. also, uh, it could be a huge help to people if used in the right way, right? Yeah, and the, the really important thing here, like like I mentioned earlier, is that this is not brain damage. Uh, in in Sackter's own words, it basically it doesn't hurt the brain; it just restores it to factory settings. It, yeah, I know, but that's still kind of creepy. Right? It is. It is creepy. I mean, it, no, it, no one has used this on a human. Um, it's really important to note them that we know of, I guess. I mean, who knows what's going on out there in the world, but as far as we know, it's never been used on humans. Um, if, if, if it were the, like I say, the, the, the priming memories would still be there. The, the sort of hind mind stuff would be there. It wouldn't mess with any of that. But, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of like the born identity, except you wouldn't be able to do karate. Like that would be, <laughs> that would be gone. Um, you'd have to relearn karate. Yeah. You'd have to relearn karate. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. It's just crazy to, to think about. Like, like, what would that be like to suddenly have the, have the zip put into your brain and then it's just, it just clears it out? Well, I mean, on the one hand, um, and this was posted on Facebook not too long ago, uh, memory is sort of becoming a, a very different thing for us than it used to be thanks to the Internet, right? Yes. It's, it's not really as important. It certainly is important, right? 
But, but for some types of things, uh, generally yeah, semantic yeah. stuff for facts. But like learning karate, you could probably go and watch a video if you needed to. You know what I mean? The, the mm-hmm. Internet is very much an external memory for us. Right. Um, and so rebuilding your your brain or your memory, I guess on the flip side of this, you've got the racing and then you've got the, hey, how could I make it stronger? How could I access memories? You could certainly even do that through the breadcrumb trail of your social life on the Internet, Right. That would be interesting. That would make for an, I don't know if it would make for an interesting movie, but I can just imagine somebody like having to rediscover what their life was by going, going into, uh, into their internet, uh, accounts and. Yeah. Know, what you know. if you were horrified? Which like, I can't, I cannot believe I wrote that or, uh, you know, who, <laughs> who are these people or wow, that person's awesome. Well, there's a, there's an Umberto Echo novel. Um, and I forget the name of it offhand. It's the, it's, uh, his, not his most recent one that deals with like the the bridges of Prague or something, which I don't think is out in English yet. But uh, the one preceding that has to do with someone who loses their memory, mm-hmm. and uh, I think they reclaim it by looking at like going and looking at the things they read in comic books and and whatnot. But but again, I haven't read that one yet. Yeah, well, and then again, on the flip side, uh, that PMK Zeta can actually be used to strengthen memory too, right? That's another thing that they discovered. Yeah, yeah, the, they the were able to, to put the more PKM Zeta into a rat's brain, and its mm-hmm. memory would improve. And also, I mean, Zip is one of these things where no one is saying like, we got this thing called Zip. Let's figure out things to use it for, and let's start mm-hmm. using it on people and more rats. Uh, no, but. But the process going on there tells us a lot about what's going on with memory, and we can learn a lot from the uh, from these experiments involving zip and rats. Well, and I always am interested in an experiment when when something unintentional unintentional happens, and it's a big breakthrough. Like, oh, okay, here's PMK Zeta. Let's let's try to zap it. Oh, by the way, we could also um, instead of trying to lessen the amount of PKM Zeta, we could also bolster the memory and, and make it even better by injecting. Much more of this. Yeah. So. Now I mentioned earlier the um, the the whole retrieval and reconsolidation process, mm-hmm. and there there is a line of thinking that this may be the key to erasing a memory. In that we we recall the memory, we we take it out of the the storage area, mm-hmm. and we have it, and then we change it, and we put it back. It's and it's reconsolidated. Okay. The new information is reconsolidated into it. And this again, this is not this is not a um, a cheapening uh, of anything. This is not a this is not a flaw in the grand design. It's like by necessity, we live in a world, as we said before, of multiple changing objects and symbols. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to navigate this world. So you need a brain that can update. You know, it's like yeah. uh, it's like if you yeah. if you're like me and you haven't bothered to plug your GPS system for your car into a computer since you bought it. Like roads are changing, and so and you'll occasionally encounter a new road, and uh, and the device is like, I don't know where you are. You're in the middle of a field, I guess. Uh, our brains don't need to work like that. We need to be able to update with new information. So I'm just thinking about Michael from the office when yeah, he drove when he drove into, into, the, into pond. the pond. Yeah, yeah, it's like that. So, but they think that when we uh, when our when during this retrieval uh, phase, the memory may be vulnerable to selective deletion. The idea being, it, it's kind of like. Like, all right, let's wait. Let's watch what the brain's doing. All right, he's getting the memory out of the drawer. He has it in his hands. Mm-hmm. And then, bam, shatter it. And then it's gone. Okay, so every time you take the memory out and you take it for a walk, it's so con- to speak, yeah, it's conceivably you're adding, vulnerable. you're adding to it, but you're also taking away. Right. And, and in that moment, they think, during that reconsolidation process, mm-hmm. if we can develop a way to... Uh, to to target specifically, that would be th- this would be how you would do it. Like, and it would probably be a situation where you would have to think about the memory, mm-hmm. where they would be like, "All right, 
Start thinking about that memory of such and such and, on, and only think about it. But even that is fraught with peril because how do you know that that's the version of the, of the memory that you're trying to, do you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. If, if each time you take it out and the reality of that memory becomes even more distorted, how do you know if that's the point at which you want to delete that memory or at least that portion of it? Well, yeah, I because guess you it, don't have really have any control about what you're determining the memory to become. I don't know. A little more hot water because the bath's too cold, <laughs> a little more cold water because the bath's too hot. But yeah, and then eventually the bath is overflowing. Right. But, and this is probably why this is not going to come online anytime soon for humans. Right. right. Or the other thing that I think about, too, is kind of like a Ghostbusters situation. Do you remember the end of Ghostbusters? Uh, the second one? Not the second one. Ghostbusters. Well, that's my favorite. And don't don't judge. I, I, I actually like the second one as well. I'm not one of those Ghostbusters 2 haters. But but Ghostbusters 1, at the end of it. Um, they party in the street. Well, no, no. Before that, go, okay, when, okay, when Gozer, okay. Um, right memory. Gozer go appears back. as the supermodel, the pink supermodel on the top of the 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 building. Okay, all right, and they blast Gozer, but Gozer's not dead. And Gozer says, "All right, I'm going to destroy the world, but the next thing you think about is the form I'm going to take. That's going to be the form of the Destructor." So everyone's like, "Don't think of anything. Don't think of a thing. Don't give this monster anything oh, to, right, to right. use." Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Dan Aykroyd's character thinks of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Like he ends up trying to think of something innocent, and that becomes the form of the Destructor. So in this situation, this hypothetical but probable future situation where someone is brought in to, and they have to think of the tr- their traumatic memory, the mm-hmm. memory they want to erase. Like think of that breakup. Think of that time that um, that uh, you were covered in chocolate as a child and a goat licked you. Like think of that. <laughs> And and we and the goat again. <laughs> think think of that memory, and we'll erase it. And then you're like thinking of like goat licking me, goat licking at me. And then you're like, did a goat really lick you? No, but I saw a, a terrified child at a petting zoo once that had covered like one of these awful kids that had like had cut chocolate all over hitting him or mm-hmm. herself, and was just acting out. And then walked into the petting zoo where the goats were, and this like enormously pregnant goat was like, oh man, <laughs> chocolate covered kid, yeah. just what I wanted. Exactly. And so the kids just freaking out like. <laughs> The goat is trying to get me, and I was I was richly amused. But that was probably traumatic okay. for the kid. Right. So, but I, I just like, want to make that yeah. distinction that you were not the the, co- the chocolate covered child. No, no, no. And yeah. I was just I was just uh, witnessing it. But anyway, I can imagine somebody you know having to think of this this traumatic memory, and then for a second they screw up and they think of something favorable from their past. They think of like their mom's uh, you know apple pie, or they think of uh, you know fishing with dad or something, or or they they or some like their own phone number mm-hmm. or something important, and then zip that one gets destroyed by accident and you're still stuck with the one you wanted to get rid of. Right. And you're like, great, thanks. That was this, a great, valuable memory. Yeah. And now my friend is still stuck with the memory of dancing around Moon and everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And she no longer remembers her mom's name. Yeah. Yeah. Bummer. Well, I want to leave you with this quote um, that I thought was really interesting. And uh, This is from Douglas Fields, who's a neuroscientist, and he talks about uh, how important it is that we do forget things. Um, So I know we've talked about memory retrieval, strengthening uh, memories, forgetting them. He says, like Amidas, cursed by having his wish granted that everything he touched would turn to gold, permanent retention of memories could be debilitating. This is because forgetting is just as important for learning as memory just as you talked about. Bad habits could not be overcome. Skills would not be improved. Information such as as an old address or phone number could not be updated. And traumatic events would never fade from the horror that overwhelms a person immediately after the trauma. Exactly. So it is is important to scrub the mind. Yeah. And I will leave everyone with this quote because um, you can't help but think of all the ways that something like Zip could be 
misused. Just even today, someone could yeah. use zip on somebody after like robbing a bank so they wouldn't remember the, you know, the details. The details of, or, right, yeah. or it could be used in various espionage situations. Um, at the, the corporate World Sci- espionage as well. Ooh, yeah. At the, the World Science Festival, they asked Todd Sackler, has the, has the, uh, they said, has the Pentagon contacted you? And he, Todd Sackler thinks for a second, he says, not that I recall. <laughs> oh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, because that really leaves you hanging. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. T-Sack. Yeah. He's wily. Yeah. Of course, if he'd really, if they'd really use Zip on him, his response would have been something like, who are all you people? What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, hey, uh, if you have any uh, cool thoughts on uh, this particular topic uh, and have or have questions about memory, because I'm hoping to do at least one more uh, uh, stemming from this uh, this particular World Science Festival uh lecture uh let us know you can find us on facebook and twitter we are blow the mind on both of those and we're always updating those feeds with different stuff on each feed um you know links to lots of cool articles lots of uh interesting videos and of course our own blog posts and uh, podcast topics yeah and if you have ever successfully like diy'd your own memory erasure please let us know about it um or if you have any other thoughts to share with us you can find us at blow the mind at howstuffworks.com Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.